This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. How many times have you thought to yourself, I wish I could know more about, well, you fill in the blank. You've come to the right place. I am Chuck Jones, Executive Director of Commonwealth Charlotte and the host of the No More podcast. Each week, we'll help you know more about some of the challenges faced by low-income wage earners in Charlotte and nationwide, seen through the lens of organizations whose mission it is to address those challenges. So thank you for coming, and here we go. Hello, friends. Welcome, or welcome back. I don't know if you're listening to the No More podcast for the first time or have come back to hear our latest episode, but either way, I'm really glad you're here. And today I have a guest who is going to both engage and inspire you, I promise. Before I introduce her, I want to share with you something I have written in a small notebook I keep containing short nuggets of wisdom. This one is ancient, attributed to a Chinese philosopher from the 5th century BC named Kong Fuzi, better known by the name Confucius. It goes something like this. Each of us has two lives, and the second begins the moment you realize you have only one. Mind blown. Every time I read that, isn't it an interesting thing to ponder? Only when we come to the realization that we have only one go around here on earth do we tend to reevaluate everything else. All that we think, all that we say, all that we do. I love that. And I invite you to carve out a quiet moment soon and to think about how you could spend the rest of your second life. Today's guest is actually an exception to this. She has lived many more than her two lives. Hannah Beavers is the executive director of Freedom Communities, an organization located in in West Charlotte, having as its mission family-centered community transformation. That is the shortest, most concise mission statement I have ever seen. Freedom Communities focuses its efforts with the goal to help whole families build the skills, mindset, and support network to support their upward mobility and sustained economic stability. Amen to all of that. Hannah has spent over a decade working in the social impact and holistic community development space as a nonprofit founder, board member, and consultant. She has lived in six different countries as a child and speaks four languages. This multicultural background ingrained her fierce advocacy for social justice and gave her the ability to understand and solve problems holistically. She started her career with General Electric's energy business in various finance roles and leading to multi-billion dollar business integrations. Most recently, she led the international for nonprofit Mama Hope as chief operations officer supporting 22 communities worldwide to build sustainable social businesses and communities. I've gotten to know Hannah over the last few years, and she is one of a small number of executive directors I turn to for counsel, advice, and a sounding board when I hit a wall, which is often. So Hannah, it is indeed my pleasure to welcome you to the No More podcast. Thank you, Chuck. It's so good to be with you. Yeah, it's great. You know, um, it's been a few years ago, I opened an email and I read the opening line that went something like this. 
I'm Hannah Beavers, the new executive director of Freedom Communities, and we need to meet. You're not a person who wastes a lot of time, are you? No, not at all. And you get yeah. right to the point. Yeah. Um, that always doesn't work in my favor, but thanks for, I'm glad I got to meet you. I'm glad we got to meet too. You are someone I rely on a lot. Hey, so we're going to spend most of our time today talking about uh, the work Freedom Communities does. But first, share with our listeners about Hannah Beavers. I, I have to start by saying, as well as I thought I knew you, I did not know you have lived in six countries and speak four languages. Good grief. Of yeah. course, there are probably things you don't know about me either, but... Uh. Yeah. Well, some of those are a lot rustier than others, if I'm being completely honest. Um, but I did. I, most of the places I lived was not by choice. I, my dad worked for um, an oil company, and he moved us every one, two, or three years throughout my entire upbringing. Uh, wow. and so we lived... I was born in Houston, but um, spent a lot of time overseas in uh, Russia, actually. We lived in Russia twice. Um, so I graduated from high school there and then uh, went to school, studied business, and then um, worked for General Electric, which then moved me every six months for two years. So literally the first time I've ever lived anywhere for more than three years is Charlotte. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've so, been here for uh, almost 10 now, which is the longest I've ever lived anywhere in my <laughs> well, entire life. Well, you're a native. If you've lived here 10 years, you <laughs> know that so. you know, you're a native. Russia, high school in Russia. Yes. Well, uh, we won't talk a lot about that, but we could probably talk an entire <laughs> episode about that. <laughs> yeah. It's been uh, very interesting, I think, as of late, you know, you know, with everything going on with Russia and Ukraine. Really sad. And, really sad stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. But uh, that's just the way of the world sometimes, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, Freedom Communities, you did in that email, you know, I'm the new executive director of Freedom Communities. Let, let's talk about Freedom Communities a little bit. Give sure. me give me an overview. Give our listeners uh, uh, something to know about Freedom Communities. Yeah, so as you said, family-centered community transformation. It's more of our tagline, mm-hmm. um, but it's exactly what we do. We've, we've intentionally chosen to work in a really narrow geography um, so that we can go deep and work holistically with families, mm-hmm. um, connecting them to a myriad of resources from housing to education, health and wellness and employment, um, but then simultaneously investing in infrastructure in the community like affordable housing, like quality early education, hub for entrepreneurship that we know that people need to thrive. So it's investing both in people and in infrastructure to really create um, opportunity for upward mobility and really building thriving lives. Yeah, that's one thing I love about you all. I, you know, when we've talked about it, you, you guys literally kind of put a push pin on the map mm. and said, we're going to center ourselves right here geographically and we're going to work out from there. How yeah. did that come about? So when our so when the Keith Lamont Scott shooting happened, um, that re, in the Harvard report came out uh, ranking Charlotte 50th out of 50 uh, for upper mobility. That really set a fire under our founding board members, who were mostly white business guys driven by their faith, wanting to know what the business community could do to address some of the challenges of upper mobility that our community was facing. Mm-hmm. And so they were getting together every week and trying to figure out what they could do. And basically, over time, they realized that they were too far away from the issues themselves to be able to understand how to meaningfully make an impact. And they ended up um, convening a number of people uh, on the West Side who were actually pastors to try to figure out um, what they needed to know. And one of them was actually getting his doctorate uh, in the cyclical patterns of generational poverty. And he said, look, if you're going to do, you know, and he was... um, 
hired by the board to travel across the country and visit different community development initiatives that had made an impact uh, on generational poverty. And he came back and he said, look, if you guys are going to do anything, focus your energy in one particular geography um, because these issues of housing and education and health and wellness and employment are all deeply interconnected, like a big ball of yarn. And if you want to make an impact on one of them, it's definitely interconnected to, to another piece. So you're going to have to do them all simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is if you focus on one particular geography. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Because even, you know, I've lived in Charlotte since back in the 1900s, you know, so I've been here a while. And and I know that... that um, it, it, just pockets of areas, they have similar issues and mm-hmm. similar things that they deal with, but there's always some different things. There's mm-hmm. a traffic pattern that changes a neighborhood. There's a building that is abandoned. Yeah. There's something that changes that neighborhood and makes it different from another. So really getting that in-depth yeah. knowledge of that one area has to be helpful to you. Yeah, and then there's also folks who've lived in the area for a very long time. And, yeah. and so much of the work that we do relies on relational equity, right? And we, mm. we also think about, we often think about equity of, of, of money, but this is truly relational capital that um, in a lot of senses holds a lot more weight and value in the communities that we serve. And so really it's of great importance to build relationships with those brokers of relational capital to truly build trust within community to actually get to the work. It does. Let's park there for just a minute. Let's talk about relational equity. We've had a lot of these episodes, and uh, we've talked all around that, but no one has termed it exactly like that. What does it mean to build those relationships and Mm -hmm. to learn from the people who you are serving as to be part of your whole – talk about that for just a minute. I mean, when I think about relational equity, I I think of a couple of leaders in our community in particular. One um, started a child care center 30 years ago, and – she, uh, it's, it's like her life, right? She diligently shows up every single day and is there for any need that the community has, whether it's food, whether it's transportation, whether it's um, needing to literally foster a child for a couple of weeks. She has done all of that for 30 straight years. And, and so when, there, when anything goes sour, People know that she's going to show up and she's going to be there. And during the pandemic in particular, these are the trust brokers who really were able to make an impact and reach those most vulnerable because they had relationships. With relationships, people. yeah. And when you've done something 30 years, when you've mm-hmm. done childcare for 30 years, you know five generations oh, of absolutely. people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's literally, I've got two kids in childcare or one just out, and the teachers at my child care center know Miss Gloria Dukes. Right. They know her. Mm-hmm. Right. So you you t- you touched tons yeah. of generations there. Yeah. And so, it, like you said, in the pandemic, that's the person that you go to. That's yeah. the person that knows the needs. Who Absolutely. else? You said there was another person. Uh, Miss Johnson. Uh, she's another lady. Uh, she runs the Parkview neighborhood. Uh, Parkview, I think it's for, for kids. Um, and she's got all of these children that she literally cares for every single day. Um, and... We had a, a food drive the other day, and um, we had extra turkeys. And I, c- I picked up the phone and called her. And I said, hey, Miss Johnson, we've got some extra turkeys. 
She's like, don't worry. I'm going around the neighborhood. I'm going to find all my people and I'll show up. She literally came over her entire car full. She opens up the trunk. More people come out. She fills up her entire car, then goes home, comes back, fills it up again. And I was just talking to one of the ladies at our child care center who cooks for her. They fed 170 people with wow. that with that food. Wow. Yeah. Just by having that connection. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I, uh, I it, it makes me think about when you say that, and we're going to get back on track a minute, but this is really <laughs> perfect, is is how we, we don't always, um, how important it is for an organization to listen, mm. to listen. We've all got great ideas, right? Mm. We've got huge ideas of the ways we're going to change the world. Oh, yeah. But we need to stop and listen, don't we? Yeah. And I think, so I started my career in international development. And one of the things that we would, uh, an article we would often share with fellows that we were training was staying for tea. Right. And so when we would go around to all these villages in in rural Africa, we would literally like for type A people like myself, it's excruciating because you want to get to business. You want to do something, you want to check something off your list, but in community, it's like, okay, Let's slow down. Let's stay for tea. Let's just listen and be present with each other mm-hmm. because that's where the relationship happens. That's where the trust building happens. That's where life happens. And right. um, I can often forget that. I'm, I, I, my husband reminds me all the time. <laughs> um, so <laughs> well, it's easy. We, we are. We're type A's. We want to get things done. You right, know, hey, right. I need, I'm a Hannah Beavers. I need to meet with you. You know, <laughs> You want to get you want to get right to it. Oh yes, you know? and yeah. and I, I can re- I can relate to that entirely. And one of the things too that you talked about, and I just want to uh, come back to it for a minute, is that idea that that you all at Freedom Communities are doing programming and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Uh, tell us about that because I know some of the things you're doing, but you can tell about it better than I can. Yeah, sure. Well, I think the easiest way to explain it is is you know why we do it. Uh, so. When we were getting started, one of the things that we were trying to figure out was, well, what are the assets that exist within the communities? What are some of the gaps and what are some of the biggest challenges that our community is still facing? And at that point, which was around 2019, um, only 15.6% of kids could read proficiently in third grade. And this was on the heels of Project Lift, which was about a $60 million investment in Title I schools. And unfortunately, in in one of the schools that we worked with, um, the reading scores actually went backwards. And and we had a budget of about $400,000 at that point in time um, when I first started. And and so we wanted to know, okay, if we're going to invest money, what's the highest impact thing that we can invest money in? So we listened a lot to teachers and administrators and community members, and we quickly found out that... Um, you know, there was a huge challenge with housing instability, right? And we know that very well now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that people often correlate housing instability with education outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we saw was that roughly well, with, with a community of mostly renters and rents going up, that was forcing families out of their homes and children from their schools. And that was translating into about 25% of a kindergarten classroom turning over in the course of a school year, which is impossibly difficult, not only for the teacher, but for the kids. And um, the teachers were telling us, look, if we can get the kids to stay with us all year, we can teach them. Um, So the first thing that we decided to do was focus on affordable housing. And I can talk a lot more about that. But But the second thing that we kept hearing repeatedly was, 
you know, if kids come into kindergarten and they know their shapes and their numbers and their colors and how to stand in line and hold a pencil, we have a shot at teaching them. But if they don't have the basics of letters, it is incredibly difficult for them to get to reading proficient at third grade if you compound that with housing instability, which is prevalent. Mm -hmm. So they were saying, you got to invest in early education. Well, we found out, too, that 80% of a child's brain develops by the age of three. Yes. Yes. And that there was a deficit in the corridor for quality early education, specifically Mm -hmm. for zero to three-year-olds. And the reason why we met Ms. Gloria Dukes, who I mentioned earlier, is because her child care center was generating some of the very best readers in one of our charter schools that we work with. Mm -hmm. And we expanded her capacity by buying a building and allowing her to take over a, a big chunk of that building to address the, the deficit of zero to three-year-old preschool. So we've got about 70 slots on site for her expanded yeah. ch- um, center. So we invested both in childcare, affordable housing, but then when you look at the demographics of who lives in the area in which we've pinpointed, as you alluded to earlier, the, the, the primary demographic are single mothers. Yes. So these are the individuals who need that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And so we said, okay, well, we're going to build the infrastructure, but then at at the same time, we also want to make sure that the very people who live here, who have the most potential to impact that next generation, that they have the tools and the resources and the support network that they need to move forward. And so that's why we work with both people and then also invest in infrastructure. Yeah, that's so important. So important. We're going to come back to those mothers. I want to, I want to, I want to definitely come back to that. But one of the things that, that, that you said that's really interesting is that idea that that uh, reading at grade levels, 15.6%. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how that becomes not just a, a, data, a data point, but it mm. also becomes a foundational point for the rest of their education. Oh, yeah. Because you're always catching up. Absolutely. You're always catching up. And, and the point that you made, even at third grade, even in third grade, our ability to learn is beginning to erode. Mm-hmm. And oh, so yeah. if you haven't gotten it by then, it's really an uphill climb to get back to the grade level. Yeah, they say you, ha- you read to learn, and then you have to know how to read in order to learn. Uh, or learn to read and then read to learn. Excuse me, I screwed it up. But um, in word problems, right? I mean, that's why a lot of kids can't make it past. And and so we, um, what what I, you know, heard from so many people in our our community and neighborhood is that, you know, a lot of these kids, when they get to middle school and high school, they're just showing up because Mm -hmm. they don't understand the content. Mm -hmm. And then our education system just keeps passing them. And so we've got kids that are graduating high school that quite frankly are reading at maybe a fifth grade level. Um, And so we think about our workforce. Mm -hmm. You know, so these issues that are budding, right, at the zero to three-year-old space are showing up downstream later on as a workforce that's not equipped for for, for the jobs of today. Right. And so I think we're, we're trying to, if we would, my philosophy is if we go upstream and really start to go deep and work holistically with people and invest in what they need, then we actually have a shot at making a difference um, later on. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And, you know, we, um, uh, uh, we had Manchaya Sari from Communities and Schools on a previous episode, and he was talking about that, uh, that idea that, of teaching. And, and he and I were talking about the, the, 
the difficulty of being a teacher. Mm. And you don't you 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 do when you think about it back from this perspective that idea that a teacher has a plan for a student but if that student moves mm-hmm. two or three or four times in a school year and that 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 transient nature of their housing impacting the plan that the teacher has to teach them Oh, and then yeah. they have to start over again. It's almost like starting over, not, not just at grade level, but the trauma that happens to those children. I mean, it's incredibly traumatic to move out of your home, uprooted from your base, and then to go into a home where you don't even know if you're going to have a bed. A lot of our families mm-hmm. move to places, and that's mm-hmm. why beds for kids or furnished for good exist because so many families are moving and they don't have a place to sleep. Um, it's tragic. And then kids are showing up and they're tired at school and we're expecting our teachers to fill a role that quite honestly is impossible. Um, and, and that's really sad for, for the next generation. And, and, and COVID, I think, I mean, made it a lot worse. Yeah. How did you guys do during COVID? What, what, what well, was that? I mean, well, we, we've I started, all had our challenges. You know? <laughs> well, I started my the job in 2019. I know. So I had a lot of plans, Chuck. Yeah. Um, and I probably sent you that email. Not You, you knew uh, exactly what my plans were. But, um, you know, we kind of came up out of the from under the ground. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we, we weren't even operating, really. Right. Um, so we bought our building at the end of 2019. Yep. We got it rezoned, and that was by end of May, which mm-hmm. our goal was to open a preschool, and every preschool in the country was shut down. Um, so we decided mm-hmm. to press pause, and then we opened up our location. It's an old church, and we provided uh, we partnered with uh, we partnered with uh, YMCA, mm-hmm. and we did before, during, and after school care on site for mm-hmm. um, our moms moving forward, which are mothers in our community mm-hmm. who were working during the pandemic. They were at the grocery stores and the gas stations and the you know hospitals and their kids um, were had no place to go. They didn't, right. you know, so we took care of those kiddos um, with during the pandemic on site, which was chaos mode. Um, yeah. And we had, you know, we had teachers come in on site. We had social workers from the schools come in there. And we yep. had everything. It was, it was a huge uh, learning lab for us to understand yeah. how do you, not just co-locate, but integrate, um, you know, services. How do you bring all the pieces together and then start to have like a real holistic integrated plan as opposed to, you know, people off, you know, disconnected. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There's no chapter in the nonprofit book about uh, pandemics, (laughs) is there? I could, if there was, I couldn't find that chapter. I remember thinking like, oh, this can't go on for much longer. Yeah. Um, Right. And, but, you know, we, we launched Moms Moving Forward during the pandemic. We opened one of our ho- affordable housing complexes during COVID. Um, we really did a lot. You and, did a lot. Um, yeah. We kind of came out. Um, we had really never shut down either. So it was... It was right. Wild. No, I know we we didn't either. It was uh, we were making it up as we go, but we somehow survived it, and <laughs> yeah, I think served God. a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, Moms moving forward. That mm-hmm. you know, that's a program that uh, that we're involved in with you, and mm-hmm. love that program. Tell yeah. uh, tell our listeners what uh, what what that program is about. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, the majority of the families that are in our corridor are, are single mothers, um, and so we think about these 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 kids and in, in our schools. Um, and a lot of them have just one parent in the household and I'm a mom. I've got two little ones. I've got a five-year-old and a, and a almost three-year-old and raising kids is not for the faint of heart. I mean, it is, (laughs) it is a rodeo every single day. You never know what you're going to get. And it is hard. And to do that by yourself with limited resources and, um, you know, 
potentially, you know, hours that may not work for you is, is incredibly difficult, right? Because mm-hmm. um, kids get sick all the time. Right. Uh, and so we, we thought, gosh, these moms have the, the most potential to make an impact on that next generation. They got the least amount of time, uh, the least amount of resources and connection to resources to do that. So how do we change the narrative? How do we equip mothers who have that potential with everything they need to really change the trajectory of their own lives and that next generation. And that's what Moms Moving Forward is about. Is mm-hmm. It's really a two-generation program that seeks to uplift the entire family. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of those resources? What are some of the, obviously, education I'm looking one. at one of them. Um, <laughs> so we've got six core o- outcomes for our program. Um, housing stability, employment stability, um, financial capability. Um, we call it healthy mind, body, and soul. You know, for us, after launching however many cohorts we have now, the thing that we realize is if, if we don't really build a strong internal core and foundation, whether that be emotional, spiritual, um, you know, mental, then it's really tough to build those external factors on top of that job's not going to stick because I'm going to maybe have a bad day and whatever. So really, that's been a huge one for us. The other one, network of support, really making sure that I've got a network of of people in my corner who I can rely on. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, youth development, making sure that my children have what they need, that I'm educated as a parent to know where I can go if my child needs something and and, or where to go for childcare. Um, So there's so the education system is incredibly complex to navigate. So mm-hmm. having an a, someone train you how to advocate is really invaluable. And so those mm-hmm. are the six things that we look for for yeah. our parents. How, uh, what is, how does digital literacy play into that? Yeah, so in one of our uh, workshops, we do a digital, uh, we have a, we have computers out, so we do a digital literacy assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if they pass the digital literacy assessment, they get the computer. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then they we have we work with the Center for Digital Equity, and they're able mm-hmm. to you know access digital um, literacy. Yeah, because that's really important these days as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's yes. we, we we use it all the time, and we think yeah. About it all the time. I mean, it there. There's a lot of our families, or a lot of the moms that we serve know how to use a computer, which is great. Um, I think the last cohort, maybe two, failed the assessment. Um, so luckily, it's not a large population. But yeah. Um, but yeah, you need a computer to do everything these days, right? Right. Apply for a job. <laughs> so um, we, we have partnered with them in the past. And actually, we hosted... Um, digital literacy classes at one of our affordable housing projects, as well as our office, um, and had people helping, you know, people to get online. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot. It is a lot. You know, I, um, I, re- I recall one uh, particular client that we worked with, and um, uh, he said, you know, now that I have my finances in order, I just sleep better. Mm. And yeah. um Without using any names or use names if you like or first names, however you want to do it. What are some of the things that your clients, uh, your moms moving forward members, what are some of the things that they've just told you as a, that, and it, that, would, that would resonate with our listeners? Good things or bad things? Both. Hey, this is about uh, situations and solutions. So, Yeah, I think, I think the most pervasive struggle that I that encounter with our families, which frustrates me to no end, is is the fact that, I don't know if you've talked about the benefits cliff on your podcast oh, yeah. yet, um, but, oh, yeah. you know, you, 
everyone's like, you got to just make a little bit more money, got make just a little bit more money. And we've got folks that are, you know, they, they start making 16, they're making 1675 an hour. Now they start making 1676 and they all of a sudden lose childcare. So they can't work, but they've got to be making $22 and 15 cents an hour to right. afford a, a two bedroom apartment in Charlotte mm-hmm. Mecklenburg. Right. But they can't afford to take the raise because they'll lose their childcare. Yes. So what do we do? And that is a pervasive issue that so many of our families, I have had, I've heard so many families, there was one mom who she was offered a job to make $22 an hour, took the job, and then all of a sudden she heard back from child care resources that she was no longer eligible for a voucher. So then she cut back her work hours so that she could afford the voucher. And, and, you know, those are frustrating conversations Mm -hmm. Um, and heartbreaking at the same time, because that's a policy issue. It is. Um, but then, you know, other we we just did a, a retreat for for one of our cohorts, and you know, I think the when when people say that this program has literally transformed their lives, yeah. I mean that that means something to me because we're not in the business of like very yes, like does. transactional widget solutions, like right. those that that's never going to make a deep deep impact. But like really seeing that. Um, you know, actually the change in look of somebody, like mm-hmm. they don't even look like the same human being that they were. I mean, that, um, that isn't, I think that says more than words is like actually seeing the physical embodiment of a transformed life and what that looks like for their children, that they're more present and able to listen. And, you know, we, we house a lot of moms and to, to, to mm-hmm. have moms who've never had a place that's stable before now having a place to call their own is, it's right. pretty remarkable. But what you're doing in your work is you are eliminating stress points. Mm. Uh, you're eliminating the, the stress of, uh, I'm mean, not eliminating, but you're reducing stress points because you're reducing the stress of a mother who thinks I've got to do, I've got to know all of this stuff in schoolwork. I've got to know all this so that I can help my child. I do just need to know some of it. But now that I've got some more resources to help me yeah. know more, I, I, I'm, I'm stressed at not having housing. But now then all of a sudden that stress is reduced some because I've been given. And when you reduce stress, mm-hmm. you physically, you know, you've read, I'm sure, you know, the body keeps score. Yeah. I mean, you know that it, it's it's uh, the, the when you reduce those stress points, yeah. you do physically get more well. Mm. Absolutely. So you see, you can see it. Yeah, and I think we 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 measure a lot of things in our program, and we have a an evidence based kind of score for um, anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And so when folks come into the program, anxiety and depression, mostly anxiety is through the charts, and we've got a, a population who have depression. But mm-hmm. you know, throughout the program, seeing how that turns you know, to be much, 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 much less is, is pretty remarkable. And how, and how that's not just like a job, but it's the combination of lots of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, my child's not, my child's now stably housed. So now he or she is actually listening in the classroom and he or she's got the support that they need. So now they're not disrupting the class and I'm not getting called. So now I can actually go to my job. So now I'm not missing work. Mm -hmm. So now I'm making more money. So it's like these accretive factors that, you know, they go, it's an upward spiral or a downward spiral. Yes. And so what we're trying to do is get you back on the upward spiral so that you can gain that momentum that you need for yourself and your family to continue moving forward because so many of our families have been pummeled down on a downward spiral mm-hmm. and it is so easy to give up. Um, it is. And, you know, I have, we've got one of our 
I mean, tell you too many stories that you don't have no, time for. I know but, we've got all the time. Um, you want. No, just one of our tenants of one of our um, apartments that we are not apartments. It's a home that we own that we're moving folks from affordable rentals to home ownership. She was a vet, um, and she had a stroke. And luckily, one of the ladies on our team like was not. She, she wasn't trying to get her out. Like she, she she went over there and she was like, I haven't heard from her for a long time. Where wh- what's going on? Knocked on the door. Figured that this lady had had a stroke. That's why she hadn't paid her rent. So then she tries to go get all of these services covered for her because she's a veteran at the county and a, a variety of other nonprofits. And every single time, it was like another hoop she had to jump through. And I remember Ashley on her set. I mean, she was almost in tears because she was like, it is so hard. Mm. This lady was served our country and she cannot get basic needs met, you know? And, and, and she was going to court with the lady. Like, I mean, she was literally doing every single thing that she Mm. possibly had to. And, and like, um, and she's like, you know, it's, I can, I can totally understand why people give up hope. Right. And, and systems are put in place for, I think, um, good reasons, but they don't always end up serving the population that they're supposed to serve. The systems can become a problem. No, even if you have like a, a, a cheerleader next to you happen, helping you to navigate a lot of these processes, I mean, still it's frustrating. I mean, mm-hmm. even for someone like Ashley who knows all the places to go to and she knows that you got to keep asking and but it, it it i think it's it wears you down so hard when do you have when do you have time to go do all that when you're literally <laughs> you you almost don't. evicted you know and you have kids like imagine the stress of then having to go to 10,000 different places to go find the things that you need like how do you have the capacity to do that yeah. so now you got an eviction on your record mm-hmm. okay and then you can't go find anywhere to live so now mm-hmm. you're stuck in a hotel right. which happened so much during covid I mean, people literally made hotels mm. their homes. There's sure. this whole underground yeah. industry that I don't think people are aware of, a lot of, of families aren't. living in hotels. A lot of people are. Yeah, we 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 dealt with that every single day. Yes. Oh, yeah, and the, the kids who are literally using a little microwave to to, to, to heat up the Chef Boyardee, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. So they just need a can opener. And that's the, right. that is literally the underground of our city that people are not aware of. It is. Um, and is pervasive. It and is. And so much worse than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I'm very concerned about, I mean, think about how that impact of that for education for kids. Yeah, everything. Um, and during COVID, trying to get those children who were living in hotels access to the internet because they would kick out because the internet bandwidth wasn't big enough at the, mm-hmm. at the, at the hotels. So, yeah. um, yeah, I wish it's, people knew about that. Uh, yeah, and that's part of what we're trying to do with our podcast. You're yeah. telling people because <laughs> the, the whole idea of knowing more is yeah. I, I am convinced, and, and and I was one of those people. I am convinced that that if people knew more about yeah. the uh, the true realities of what low income mm. uh, people face. Uh, we would have different systems and we would have more advocacy 100%. for changing them. People, uh, you, it's just hard to know. And if you don't live in it and don't live around it or don't work around it, you, you don't know those things. And so what yeah. we don't know is really what, what hurts us. Hey, I wanted to ask one other thing back way to the beginning of this. Um, you know, I know some of your founding board members uh, and really good people. But, um, you know, one of the things that you said was, the founding board said, wait a minute, we don't know what we, we don't know this. Yeah. We don't know this. What, what is the, um, is there a, is there a secret sauce that we can work with people who want to do things, um, but 
but really don't understand. I'm, 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 that's a horrible way to, 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 to uh, couch this question. But I remember uh, hearing one time about uh, a guy who wanted to save the elephants. Mm-hmm. That was his passion, save the elephants. So he was going to um, he was going to move to quit his job, move to Africa and save the elephants. Yeah. And he went and visited an organization there. And the organization said, you know what? Go we have, raise, we money. have raise money <laughs> and let us save the elephants here because yeah. you don't know anything about Africa yeah, or elephants. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't I don't always want to make it about raising money. But what what is what is a, a, a nuggets of wisdom that you have about how to communicate with people to say, hey, you can have a heart for this, but um, uh, you don't. You might not know how to do it. How do you let someone have a heart for it and still be in, and still make an impact? Yeah, I think that there's this like great myth that you know if you want to make an impact or do something good, you have to like pick up your life and go move somewhere <laughs> and 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 totally be someone that you're not. Right. And yet, I think that we've all been uniquely created with a set of gifts mm-hmm. that we can use for good, mm-hmm. and that we're asked to you be used for good, right? Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's what I believe all of our call is. Mm-hmm. And so how can we not, you know, try to go out and figure out some random thing that we're or, or make ourselves feel bad that we don't know enough about something mm-hmm. versus identify what our assets and gifts are and think about how we can leverage those for good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly what the founding board members said. They were like, shoot, well, we know nothing about this, but we do know a heck of a lot about business and real estate. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think freedom is so innovative is because we have the mindset of businesses and real estate developers tackling poverty, which usually don't play well together. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times people can go, oh, well, they're just... They're just making bukus of money over there and mm-hmm. da, 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 Well, no, we've just applied business principles and real estate principles mm-hmm. to doing good. Yes, yes. And, and, and that's ultimately what I think we can, we're all kind of called to do. And once we have people who are experts in their own arenas contributing. Sure. And do it where you are. Yes. I mean, we are sitting in uptown oh, yes. Charlotte right now, but we're only, what, three miles from? where hundred percent. But, yeah, but that's so much harder for us to do, Chuck, because it's <laughs> literally in our backyard. And right. we have to confront the fact that we've allowed this to persist in our own country, in our yes. own backyards. And that is really a wake up call that a lot of people don't want to have. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that yeah. was the, that was the, the Chetty study. Yeah. Uh, no one, ex- no one saw that coming. Yeah. But we should have. We should have seen it coming. Well, yeah, which is too segregated as a community. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and trust me, like I spent 10 years going abroad. But I grew up most of my life internationally. Mm-hmm. So I had been exposed to the, the type of poverty that we had here. And then I was actually challenged by uh, Jay Everett at Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, can you figure out how to do what you were doing over there here? Uh-huh. Um, and that's when I started to be exposed to the inequities and complexities and red tape of doing community development work here in America. And I was, and especially in, in Charlotte, and I was I was overwhelmed with how much harder it was, mm-hmm. you know, to, and, and people, I think that another thing is like, you can go abroad, you can, you know, give your money, it's going to go way further, you can do something and you can feel really good about mm-hmm. it and you can come home to the safety of your own, you know, home and, mm-hmm. and, and have it be a good experience. And that's great. Like, trust me, I did it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not going to knock on anybody who does international ministry work because I did it for a very long time and I learned a lot. And the funny thing is, is I applied so much of what I learned abroad to here. Like mm-hmm. we can learn from each other 
as a global network, right? We, we absolutely can. I mean, I, I had this, much of the same experience. I used to go uh, to other countries and do all this work. And you know how I, my attitude on it changed when I started going to New Orleans. Mm, yeah. Because I went to New Orleans, and then I realized in New Orleans, wait a minute, New Orleans is not that different from Charlotte. Yeah. We're, there's There are places here that we could be plugged in and doing absolutely. these things and not have to incur all of that. So I think you're exactly right on that. I'm, I'm not going to knock anybody either for any good that they do, but I do believe that there's so many things in our backyard that we Yeah, can but it really in. causes us, and even personally, to just be super uncomfortable. And I think like what you said about knowing, knowing is one thing, but being proximate is a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. And once we know and are proximate, then it gets really under our skin. <laughs> and then that drives us to action. And I think that yes. that's a two-punch combo that, I mean, I'd love to see. So um, right. if there's anything I can do to help that, let me know. <laughs> Oh, you're doing a lot. You're doing a lot to help it. Hey, uh, so the, the the podcast is called No More, but if you look at the logo embedded in the No is N O No More. So that's a second level mm. of the podcast. What are some things that we as a community could do so that the problems that you face are no more? Oh, that's it's a big question. <laughs> it is a big question because I I don't want to say the wrong thing. Um. I think we have to challenge our notion of scale. I think wow, we're unpack that for a minute. I think we're drunk with scale in in this country when when and when we apply it to impact that is dilutive, right? I think wow, I um when so often and I used to work at GE so we produce a lot of widgets, mm-hmm. right? We want to produce as many possible widgets as we can of transformation, right? Mm -hmm. But when we apply that to human beings, then it becomes a whole nother set of complexities. You can't mass produce human beings. Human beings, there's a nine month gestation period for (laughs) human beings, okay? And then after they come out, I mean, they don't walk for at least a year. Mm -hmm. They don't read for at least a whole nother five, right? So we're talking about years of nurturing and investment that is imperative Mm -hmm. for the transformation of the lives of human beings. Mm -hmm. But what I think that we do is we tend to, and this is not just in Charlotte, but in the industry as a whole, we tend to prioritize widget producing scalable surface level solutions and celebrate the wins because we've impacted so many people And we claim victory and we invest a bunch of money in these very surface level situations and we wonder and lament why we haven't transformed lives. Mm -hmm. And the thing about it is we haven't transformed lives because we haven't put in the time. We Mm -hmm. haven't put in that patient capital that is required to transform the lives of human beings. And so... Mm -hmm. No more surface level solutions. Right. And no more. And, <laughs> right, and no more. I love that because and, and no more thinking that that every that that these are monolithic solutions, that there's one solution that's going to fit everything. We, yes. we say at Commonwealth, Charlotte, we say uh, every one of our clients is exactly the same, except for the oh, fact that they're completely different. hundred percent. OK, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of things that that someone in mm. uh, lower income and lower wage earner status face 
uh, that are similar, but they're all they, there's always a twist. There's mm-hmm. always something. It's all income. Who, it's all it's all income, but there's something about it that changes this this situation versus that situation. Yeah. And so you have to change it one at a time. Yeah. It's it's you know I I, I really like that, and I'm going to use that because it's it's extremely hard for us to think about it. Think about scale. Mm-hmm. Th- there's. Scale is possible in some things that we do, but it's not possible in other things that we do because we're really working with people one person at a time. Yeah. I mean, if you're producing Mm -hmm. vaccines, you can do it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're doing books or food or something like that, that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, and those will be important for people. It's not to negate the fact that these aren't really important things. Everybody needs food. Everybody needs books. We need vaccines. All incredibly important things. Mm -hmm. But are those things in and of themselves going to transform the lives of a human being? Right. I mean, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more in, in, involved in my life yeah. than what I ate for lunch <laughs> yeah. and the fact that I got my, my, my shots and, and whatnot, right. you know, yeah. there's, and read a book to my kids. I mean, yeah. my, I'm a whole, whole human. And I think what we, twin, what we tend yeah. to do is we want to be able to simplify us down to measurable components mm-hmm. so that we can claim our victory of impact and justify the return of investment that we've made. And that's good in some ways, but mm-hmm. incredibly robbing dignity from human beings, in my opinion. And yeah, so I think it's time that we point. start treating people as people. Um, with our whole selves and stop demanding the impact that we wouldn't even demand of our own children, mm-hmm. of kids that don't look like us, mm-hmm. that have a fraction of the, of the privilege that we have mm-hmm. to transform in no time. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. I mean, this should be your podcast. I should turn this over to you. You know, this no. is yeah. You've got you 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 hit all the buttons, all the points. Well, I had a great host. Oh no, I don't think so. I th- I'm, I'm glad I returned that email though. Uh, that was me too. Good. Yeah, that me was too. Good. I'm glad we're friends now. So, hey, um, so um, uh, we're about out of time. Uh, tell me a little bit. How can we get involved with you? How can someone who's listening? Obviously, we. I always say this to everyone. We wouldn't be executive directors if we didn't say. Of course, we're always looking for funding. Always looking for funding. <laughs> now, after um, that, are there ways that people yeah. can get involved with you? Yeah, I mean, we have weekly volunteer opportunities. Um, whether it be. Uh, serving food or we have a support closet. We also have a huge campus where we always need folks to come out and do beautification efforts. We had loaves and fishes out today Mm -hmm. serving food. So we had about six volunteers out. And so there's Mm -hmm. literally something to do almost every day. And they can connect those volunteers at your website or do they? Yeah. um, Eugenia Washington is our um, events and hospitality coordinator. Her email is eugenia at freedomcommunities.com. We'll put that in the show notes so people can do that. She's the most wonderful human being. In the, in the world. She's so mm. sweet. Um, yeah. So she'd be happy to help. Well, that would be great. Well, I would yeah. say the same about you. You're doing oh, great work. Well, likewise. Thank yeah, you so doing much. Doing great work. Anything else you it. want to say? No, thank you for inviting me. I really Well, thank you. It. It's been just as much fun as I thought it would be. <laughs> and um, so we'll uh, we'll connect and I know I'll, uh, I'll see you a little bit later. So um, uh, have a great day and thanks so much for listening. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about Commonwealth Charlotte and the services we provide, see our website at commonwealthcharlotte.org or email info at commonwealthcharlotte.org and someone will be in touch with you. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Queen City Podcast Network.